Welcome back to Sports Touch with D. Crom, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, David Cromwell. And two weeks into the 2018 NFL season, unpredictability remains king of America's real pastime. Who on earth had the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Ryan Fitzpatrick starting the year 2-0 and having the league's top offense? Who had the league on pace to have 16 games dead in a tie just two weeks in? What more exciting twisted turds await the NFL, the greatest reality television show invented by man in its third week of its 2018 campaign? And what better person is there to give us an answer to that question than my right-hand man, Hal Bent of FullPressCoverage.com. How are you doing, Hal? I'm doing great, David. Two weeks in and so far so great for the NFL. Absolutely. This looks like another unpredictable, fascinating season and that roller coaster ride is just getting started. It certainly is. So many big games and excitement so far, so early in the season. Um, and the slate of games looks great again this weekend. So we're on our way for another interesting, exciting, and unpredictable NFL season. Oh, we most certainly are. And what were some of your takeaways from week two? Well, Pat Mahomes, I was here last week after he threw four touchdown passes in week one and said, let's, you know, let's hold off on the praise. And he goes out and throws six. So I don't know. Do I bash him and see if he throws eight this week? I mean, he, <laughs> oh my God. So, but, you know, he is, you know, I he's looked great. And Andy Reid offenses look great early in the season. I really want to see how he holds up over the long term. And week four, he's going to be facing Denver's defense, and it doesn't get easier after that. Denver, Jacksonville, New England, Cincinnati, and then Denver again. It might be a long October for Pat Mahomes. So um, that was one of my key takeaways. And the other was, oh, my God, we've got four teams that are 0-2 that had realistic playoff chances and so now houston detroit seattle and the giants they're all facing a must-win game and we're only in week three buffalo oakland and arizona hey they're owing two and they're going nowhere and they know it but those four teams they got to turn around and get some w's immediately oh absolutely as the statistics do show that if you start out owing two in recent years your chance of making the playoffs is just 10%. And for the Giants, Texans, and those teams you mentioned, if they don't win this week, that small chance reduces even more. And here are my big week two takeaways, Hal. Uh, I want to congratulate the Atlanta Falcons and Steve Sarkeesian, who we bashed last week for having their red zone woes from 2017 uh, show up again in week one against the Eagles. You answered the bell to my challenge. You, not only did you do a lot better in the red zone, you were perfect in the red zone, Atlanta Falcons. You were four for four on red zone trips. So bravo, Steve Sarkeesian. Bravo, Atlanta Falcons. Keep it up. And you're going to need to keep converting in the red zone given the injuries to your defense. But an even bigger takeaway, the decision-making of the Cleveland Browns, their front office, their coaching staff, it has hit a new low. And I am not talking about the Josh Gordon trade, Hal. <laughs> how on earth did the cleveland browns not wave or put on injured reserve zane gonzalez before week one he was playing through a groin injury and just as dan bailey last year do you know how hard it is to kick with an injured groin it is very hard and had they not been stupid enough to side somebody else before week one 
like a veteran kicker, like not necessarily Dan Bailey, but like Cairo Santos, who John Dorsey knows from his days in Kansas City. The Browns would be 2-0 right now had they done that. They probably would be, but Zane Gonzalez, the fact that they kept him on the active roster, that is the big, that is maybe the only reason, dare I say, they're 0-2 right now. A new low in the horrendous decision-making for the Cleveland Browns. Unbelievable. And if I can pile on that point even more, I would say regardless of kicker, the way their defense has played these first two weeks of the season and how inconsistent Tyrod Taylor has been, had they played Baker Mayfield, regardless of their kicker, I think they'd be 2-0 and right now as well. Oh, very, very good point. And also, why are you giving Carlos Side all the carries? You got somebody named Nick Chubb in that backfield who's looked very, very good in his limited touches. You, you ought to look at Nick Chubb more too. Well, they whiffed on one chub in the first round. You know, play the one you got in the second round. Come on, Cleveland. Absolutely. And that defense, man, that Browns defense is the real deal. Look at that front. You got Miles Garrett, Emmanuel Ogba when he comes back. Uh, he is another legitimate pass rusher. Jannard Avery, the rookie. But how about that freak, Larry Joby? He took Max Unger to school all day long last Sunday. This Browns defense is for real. They are. And, you know, I criticized the drafting of Denzel Ward, but he's actually looked pretty good at cornerback. They've got Demarius Randall playing safety. You've got Jabril Peppers. You've got a great combo back there. You still have Christian Kirksey, Jamie Collins. There's quality players at every single position on this defense, and they're wasting it with bad coaching and not going with the best quarterback on the roster. Cleveland Browns, you heard us. If this losing persists, put Baker Mayfield in ASAP and fire Hugh Jackson. Hugh Jackson and this coaching staff are the major barriers between this team winning games. Uh, You could say Jimmy Haslam too, but Jimmy Haslam, let John Dorsey do his job. And if John Dorsey wants to fire Hugh, let him fire him, please. you got a very talented football team. It's time to start winning some games, Cleveland. And now let's move on to a segment I like to call Four Questions. And I hope to be doing this segment religiously with you for the rest of the season because uh, the more we get into the season, we have a lot to talk about. So here are four pressing topics I took away from uh, the first two weeks of the NFL season. Two interesting teams began 2-0. We mentioned the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but the other, the Cincinnati Bengals, who looked very, very good against the Ravens last Thursday night. Which of those 2-0 teams is the bigger contender, the Bucs or the Bengals? I would have never believed I would say this, but I'm going to say Tampa Bay. Both offenses have looked fantastic. Cincinnati... They've been riding Geno Atkins on defense. He's been a one-man wrecking crew. But that defense, eh, they've given up a lot of yards. And there's a, they're one or two injuries away from that crumbling completely. Now, Tampa Bay's defense hasn't been great. But in their defense, they've gone against two excellent offenses in Philadelphia and New Orleans. Whereas Cincinnati... Indianapolis and Baltimore aren't exactly lighting the world on fire on offense. So if I'm going to pick who's real out of those two, I'm going with the Tampa Bay Bucks. as unbelievable as that is. 
That is very interesting, Cal, and I disagree with you, though. I am taking the Cincinnati Bengals, and here's why. You mentioned the Bengals' defense. Yeah, Geno Atkins is a freak. He is the second-best three-technique of the National Football League behind only Aaron Donald. But look at that freaking rotation they got up front. Uh, Carlos Dunlap coming off the edge. You also got Sam Hubbard in his rookie year, who's been playing well so far. Carl Lawson, who had an amazing year last year, continues to rush the passer very well. You got Andrew Billings, who's been playing good at nose tackle for them. It is a Philadelphia Eagles-like rotation on that defensive line. And when Vontaze Burfitt comes back, he and Nick Vigil make a very, very solid uh, two-man punch at linebacker. And William Jackson III uh, just watched him play Antonio Brown last year. Uh, this guy could be a top-ten corner by season's end. You are sleeping on the bagels. And moreover, Andy Dalton just played his 16th game under Bill Lazor. And in 60 games with Bill Lazor calling the plays, uh, the numbers courtesy of ESPN's Field Yates, to my recollection, it, he has thrown 39 interception, I, 39 touchdowns compared to 9 interceptions. That is super efficient football. That is the Andy Dalton we saw in 2015 where he had an MVP-like season. He is playing like that so far this year. And with all those new weapons around him taking the, another step forward with obviously Joe Mixon and you got Tyler Boyd and John Ross and uh, Tyler Eifert is healthy, and C.J. Uzama is a, a, a very good a second alternative at tight end. This Bengals team could finish what that team in 2015 failed to. So don't sleep on the Bengals, man. I'm with the Bengals there. You could be right with that, David, but boy, when you talk about depth on the defensive line, look at that Tampa Bay. They bring in Jason Pierre-Paul, Vinnie Curry, Bo Allen's there, Gerald McCoy, first-round pick Vita Vey. Uh, they've got the ageless wonder Brent Grimes in the secondary. They've got two draft picks, Carlton Davis and MJ Stewart, getting ready and getting up to speed to step in at cornerback. And don't forget those linebackers, Levante David and Quan Alexander. With those two healthy in the middle of that Tampa Bay defense, it changes that whole look of that team. And you're once they get these tough games out of their way with these explosive offenses and beat up on a few bad offenses, you're going to start seeing some swagger in that Tampa Bay defense. Oh, very, very good point. And it wouldn't surprise me uh, given uh, the depth they have up front as well. But I'm still going with the Bengals. But uh, you could be right there, Hal. And 2-0 teams that I consider imposters are the Denver Broncos and the Miami Dolphins. Which of those 2-0 teams do you think is the larger of the imposters? That is a tough one there. I'm going to say, oh, you know, Denver seems like the obvious choice. They've been very close wins. They had no business winning against Oakland. And, of course, they had no business allowing Oakland to walk all over them in the first half like they did. So, you know, Denver, it seems like it should be the easy one. But then you look at Miami and you say, that offense is these first two weeks is an illusion. A couple of downfield strikes, pounding the ball, not even throwing the ball in the second half of games. It's ugh. And that defense is maddeningly inconsistent, especially the secondary, which has talented players there. And so for me, it comes down to which of the quarterbacks would you trust more? Is it Ryan Tannehill or is it Case Keenum? And 
oh, I just can't put my faith in Ryan Tannehill. I'm not a huge believer in Case Keenum, but I believe in him and the Broncos more than Tannehill and the Dolphins. Very interesting, and I agree. That is a hard choice, and I honestly think that both are equally imposters, so I understand your sentiment there. And, as I alluded to in the intro, we have two ties already this season, on pace for 14 more, and a lot of people on Twitter after that Vikings-Packers game on Sunday were complaining that the NFL should never have any more ties. It should only have a winner and a loser every Sunday and nothing in between. And the 10-minute overtime uh, last year, um, a lot of people were worried last year that the 10-minute overtime would lead to more ties. And last year, those worries were rendered moot. But so far this year, those concerns have been justified. But I believe they're only justified due to Zane Gonzalez and Daniel Carlson. If it weren't for those two, we wouldn't have been having this conversation right now. But for the sake of it, let's debate this. Should the NFL go back to the 15-minute overtime next season to avoid more ties? Well, if they do, you know, one thing that New England head coach Bill Belichick has espoused in the past is saying that if you're going to play overtime, play the full 15 minutes. Get rid of the sudden death and just play it like it's a fifth quarter and bring in all that strategy that you would have as in a regular game rather than it ending immediately with a touchdown or going back and forth and waiting for a field goal. So I think that would certainly liven things up a bit, but still leave you open to ties. Um, You could go to the college system of placing the ball at the 25-yard and each team getting a shot. That's certainly exciting on Saturdays, I will tell you. I do enjoy those overtimes. And um, on their MMQB podcast, Andy Benoit from uh, SI.com had a, was talking about the, the ties in the overtime, and his strategy was to eliminate the extra point completely and just make the touchdown seven points, and then you're less likely to have those field goals and missed field goals. Of course, you know, he's going to have all the math behind that, but but that eliminates those weird scores where you're ending up with these 29 to 29 ties. So of the three, it's, it's, they're all imperfect. I just don't like ties, you know, just let them keep playing until somebody wins. (laughs) Yes. They're going to have to have a long discussion about that next March and interesting ideas by both Bill Belichick and Andy Minoit, who I was fortunate to interview down at the senior bowl last year. So, uh, Andy, if you're listening, um, hi again. Hope to see you back down there in Mobile. And another team in trouble who was a victim of one of those ties and then last week got absolutely stomped on by Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs, the Pittsburgh Steelers. But it just gets worse from there. Antonio Brown was uh, caught fuming with coaches on the sideline and being rude to a reporter, and he doesn't show up for work on Monday. And with the Le'Veon Bell circus ongoing, does it seem like the Pittsburgh Steelers are just one loss away from their 2018 season becoming an absolute dumpster fire? You know, it's it's a messy situation in Pittsburgh for sure. I, I almost expected Ben Roethlisberger to come out and, and pull that Aaron Rodgers R-E-L-A-X and everybody relax here. Um, winning solves a lot of problems, but you are absolutely correct. Another loss and that powder keg is going to be lit up. It's 
Pittsburgh has always been a little bit of a loose ship with Mike Tomlin running the show. We had the incident a while back. Um, you had LeGarrett Blunt leaving the game early. You had Antonio Brown on Facebook Live or something in the locker room while Tomlin's addressing the team. The Steelers, you know, the, a tie game, a tough loss against a good opponent. This team is still a favorite to get to the Super Bowl out of the AFC. They still have too many weapons on offense, and if they can straighten out that defense, just getting Joe Hayden back healthy is going to take a big step that way. So for the Steelers, I think they can just step back, relax, and things are going to turn around in Pittsburgh. It's all going to hinge on that defense, as we'll discuss later. But first, let's talk about two of the biggest games this week, starting with that NFC South clash in Atlanta at Mercedes-Benz Stadium between the Saints and Falcons. Both teams got much-needed wins last week to even their record at 1-1, one and one, but this could be very decisive in the march for a playoff spot, whether at the top of the division or in a wild-card spot. And when you look at this game, you look at two defenses, one that is uh, banged up and missing their two key starters, the Falcons, and another that's been absolutely struggling in the Saints. And when you look at both sides, uh, you could uh, boil their performance down to two players, starting with the Falcons. Uh, you got Vic Beasley coming off the edge. Uh, they're going to need him to harass Drew Brees. And Desmond Trufant, who they're probably going to match up a lot on Michael Thomas and his and his freaking amazing 28 receptions. He's on pace to shatter Marvin Harrison's record for receptions in a single season. So which of those defenders do the Falcons need to step up the most in this game? Is it Vic Beasley or is it Desmond Trufant? Well, it's it's almost a combination of both. You you have to have the pass rush and the, the secondary in sync in that the, the secondary knows exactly how long they have to cover. Our pass rush is going to get to them in X seconds. And when those are in sync, that's when you see defenses work well in the NFL. If they know I've got to cover for four seconds, that's how long it's going to take our pass rush to get there. Then they're going to be fine in the secondary. But if they're sitting there and they're saying, well, we've got nobody getting to that quarterback. Our leader in sacks is Brian Poole, who's a freaking cornerback you know that pass rush isn't getting anywhere near them. So I'm putting all of the pressure square on the entire defensive front of the Atlanta Falcons. You've got Tack McKinley, get after the quarterback. Vic Beasley, get after the quarterback. Grady Jarrett, oh, how does he not have any sacks? Get into the backfield and start making plays up front. They need everybody in Atlanta to take some pressure off that talented cornerback group. Because if they don't have pressure, Drew Brees, it doesn't matter who he's throwing to. He's going to pick you apart all day long. Oh my goodness, I am a crook. How on earth did I leave Grady Jarrett out of this conversation? Grady Jarrett might be the most important defender for the Falcons in this game. Because what kind of pressure bothers quarterbacks like Drew Brees the most? It's the interior pressure. They are going to need Grady Jarrett to have a very disruptive game to throw Drew Brees off schedule. Because... Um, if those edges aren't coming home to Breeze, those edges aren't going to get there in time anyway because Breeze gets rid of the ball so damn fast. But they're going to need Grady Jarrett to get in Breeze's face PDQ. 
Because if that doesn't happen, Drew Brees is going to pick you apart. And if you blitz Drew Brees, he'll pick you apart even more. So Grady Jarrett, the onus is on you, my friend. Go ball this week. And a similar dilemma faces the Saints on defense going against that high-flying Atlanta Falcons offense that got back on track big time last week against the Panthers. Uh, You got Cameron Jordan coming off the edge and Marcus Davenport as well. And they're going to need a lot of Marcus Davenport as well. And Sheldon Rankins in the middle. And you got uh, your shutdown corner, Marshawn Lattimore, going up against Julio Jones. So which of those defenders do you think the Saints need to step up the most in this game? I think it's the exact same situation we're going to see with New Orleans is that you've got this secondary in New Orleans that looked so good last year. And part of that was the resurgent pass rush for New Orleans. And Cam Jordan can't do everything on his own. Marcus Davenport has been invisible as a rookie and they paid a steep price. They don't have a first round draft pick because they went up to get this player and we're one eighth of the season in and we haven't seen anything out of him that's showing that he's worth that price. And that's a lot of pressure to put on a rookie. But really, who else do they have to to pass rush there? Are they going to lean on Alex Okafor? I don't think so. So for the Saints, Matt Ryan, again, he's a little more susceptible to the edge rushers than Drew Brees. He doesn't get the ball out quite as quick, and he likes to sit and wait for his receivers like Julio Jones to get a little bit further downfield. So I'm going to say it's on the edge rushers. Cameron Jordan, as always, is doing yeoman's work, but he needs help there, and that has to be Marcus Davenport. Oh, it most certainly has to. And let's talk about some matchups that will decide this game. And I'm actually looking at the Saints defensive tackles versus the Falcons interior offensive line because you got Alex Mack at center, but Andy Levitre was put on season-ending injured reserve a couple days ago. So the Falcons will now start Wes Schweitzer and Brandon Fusco at guards. And you got Sheldon Rankins. And don't forget this other guy, David Onyemata, who was uh, drafted in the fourth round in their 2016 class. Uh, David Onyemata was the fourth round pick. Sheldon Rankins, the first round pick. The Saints are going to need both of those guys to disrupt Matt Ryan in a hurry. And the Falcons' uh, interior offensive line, Sands Alex Mack, has been a struggle for them uh, dating back to last year. So uh, whoever wins that battle, it could go a long way into determining who wins this game. Yeah, I mean, I remember us talking about Andy Levitra last year as one of those underrated cogs that got Atlanta back into the playoff picture, uh, just allowing them to run the ball and keeping up people off of Matt Ryan and losing him is such a big loss for that front. And, you know, certainly saying Matt Ryan isn't as susceptible at the pressure up the middle as Breeze, any quarterback is susceptible to that. And we know the edges that they have on the offensive line in Atlanta. They've got a good pair of them with Jake Matthews and Ryan Schrader, another underrated offensive lineman in the league. And those two are pretty good at taking care of business on the edge. So it'll be a real test. And that might be something for New Orleans to exploit. Because as well, if Levitri's not there in the running game, and they're able to take out Tevin Coleman's effectiveness and make Atlanta one-dimensional, that's a big win for the New Orleans defense. It most certainly is. Any other potential game-deciding matchups you see in this game? Well, it's going to be, as always, when you face Atlanta is, you know, is Marshawn Lattimore going to be matched up 
on Julio Jones? Is you know, are they going to mix the coverages? Are you going to see Ken Crawley on them? Um, you know, how much do they need to put Marcus Williams to bracket him? Do you put Williams and Lattimore on Julio Jones? And then on that opposite side, with all that ten- attention going to Julio Jones, who steps up on the other side? Is Ridley finally going to break out and have a big game here for Atlanta? Um, Mohamed Sanu, he, he looks slow in the preseason. He still looks a step slow right now. They really need that other option. I don't know if it's Austin Hooper. I don't know if you get Tevin Coleman involved more out of the backfield. But, you know, Julio Jones has been carrying the team the first two weeks, and it, it's time for Sanu, Ridley, or someone else to step up in Atlanta and take some of that pressure off. Uh, because you know the Saints are going to pay plenty of attention to Julio Jones. Indeed. And who do you see winning this game and why? It's a tough one. I've I've gone back and forth a few times here, but uh, I just have a feeling that the Falcons, they're, they're, it's going to be close. It's probably going to come down to who has the ball last. And I'm going to say put it in the hands of Matt Ryan and Atlanta pulls out a 24 to 21 win. Although, like I said, I've gone back and forth on this one and it's almost a coin flip. I am going with the Atlanta Falcons. I know they are um, depleted on defense, but the Saints aren't looking good either. Heck, the Saints have not looked good throughout the first two games of the season. And the Falcons are at home and they were my pick to win the NFC South headed into the season, and I'm not ready to bet against them after what I saw from them last week, especially with their red zone offense. I trust that that red zone offense is going to stay on schedule this week against a horrendously inconsistent New Orleans Saints defense, and they pull out a win in a shootout by a score of 34-30. to And now let's move on to the Battle of L.A. as the Los Angeles Chargers take on the Los Angeles Rams. Football is indeed back in the City of Angels. And you got two great teams going at it at the Coliseum, the Chargers and the Rams. And when you look at this Rams team, um, you can argue that the Rams are playing like they're the best team in the NFC two weeks in. Uh, you got that offensive tack. Offensive attack surrounding Todd Gurley and Jared Goff doing his job as well. Brandon Cooks adding another underrated element to it. And that defense with Aaron Donald and Dom Gatsu and Michael Brockers up front. And Akeem Tlaib and Marcus Peters uh, patrolling the corners. But uh, when you look at the Rams defense, as the Raiders showed in Week 1, their biggest weakness is the linebacker position. Not just uh, the edge rushers, but the off-ball linebackers as well. And they exploited that weakness with Jared Cook, who exploded for 180 yards. And given that that's the biggest weakness on this Rams defense, how much will the Chargers be missing Hunter Henry in this game? Because they could have used Hunter Henry to take the lid off that defense. Oh, definitely. I mean, the the step down in talent going to either Virgil Green or or Antonio Gates from Hunter Henry is is a huge loss for the Chargers there. And and that's the way, you know, Antonio Gates is just a red zone target at this point of his career. Virgil Green, you knew him in Denver. He was an he's an excellent blocker, but nobody's gonna confuse him as a passing threat at all coming out of that tight end position. So if I'm the Chargers and I'm trying to exploit those linebackers, I'm looking at Austin Eckler and Melvin Gordon coming out of the backfield, get a matchup against one of those linebackers and take advantage of that all game long. 
Ooh, that's a very good strategy, Hal, and I would be surprised if Ken Wisenhut did not do that because the Chargers almost certainly will have to attack the middle given those two all-pro corners on the boundary with Marcus Peters and Aqib Tlaib. And speaking of corners going against good wide receivers, you got two of those matchups in this game. Uh, you got Keenan Allen, one of the best route runners in this game, if not the best route runner in the National Football League. And given Aqib Tlaib's uh, propensity for struggling against elite route runners, my hunch is Wade Phillips is going to put Marcus Peters on Keenan Allen. So let's say Keenan Allen against Marcus Peters. Who do you think has the edge in that battle and why? That's a tough one. I mean, Keenan Allen's tough for anybody to cover. Marcus Peters has the athleticism, but much like Tlaib on the other side, he has that propensity to cheat a little and try to make that big interception to change the game for that pick six. And that might be something that a veteran like Philip Rivers can take advantage of. And whether it's building the double moves for Keenan Allen into the offense, um, whether it's the pump fake and go on those routes, something like that, you may see a couple of big plays from either side. And the game could come down to whether it's a pick six from Peters or whether it's Allen getting free and making a big strike down the field. And you could say the same thing when you flip-flop roles. When you look at the Rams' offense against that Chargers defense, he got Brandon Cooks, who has absolutely been phenomenal. He had like 160 yards last week. He adds another dimension to that offense, and he is an upgrade from what they had at Sammy Watkins last year. And Casey Hayward, arguably the most underrated corner in the game. So in that matchup, that also could decide the game just as much as the Keenan Allen going against Marcus Peters or Aqib Tlaib. Who has the edge in the matchup of Brandon Cooks against Casey Hayward and why? Well, I think in that case, I, I, I'm with you on Hayward. I think he's one of those cornerbacks that seems to be able to match up with anybody. If they're fast, he can keep up with them. If they're big, he's got those long arms and can get in the way of those passes. And he's going to have the advantage as well of that they have some pretty good safeties in the for the Chargers as well. And if somebody like, uh, you know, Rayshon Jenkins is back there, or Derwin James, the, the impressive-looking rookie, that can help take the top off with Brandon Cooks and take a little bit of pressure off of Hayward, knowing that he has that safety behind him. He can be a little more aggressive, and sometimes being a little aggressive can pay big dividends with Brandon Cooks in co when you're covering Brandon Cooks. And speaking of Derwin James, I'm glad you mentioned him. He is playing like the defensive rookie of the year I picked him to be. He already has two sacks, and he could have had three more last Sunday had it not been for the athleticism of Josh Allen. And to give you an idea how special Derwin James is, just look at how versatile he is. And these numbers are courtesy of Pro Football Focus. They've lined him up at box safety on 37 snaps. They lined him up at nickel corner, 13 snaps. They lined him up at boundary corner for one snap. They lined him up at free safety for 53 snaps, and they lined him up on the defensive line for 11 snaps. This guy is a chess piece, man. And when you look at this Rams offense, you can talk about Brandon Cooks all you want, and you can talk about Jared Goff all you want. The linchpin to this Rams offense, the straw that stirs the drink, is Todd Gurley. And they're going to use Todd Gurley, whether running between the tackles or running routes out of the backfield all game long. And I think the Chargers' best weapon to contain Todd Gurley is Derwin James. And if you were Gus Bradley, would you have Derwin James shadow Todd Gurley for the most part in this game? 
I'd be definitely tempted to. I like Denzel Perryman as a as a middle linebacker in coverage, but I don't love him in that matchup with Gurley. Perryman against an average back is fine. If they're going to lean on Perryman to to take out that passing game of the Rams with Gurley so involved in it, it's just not going to work that way. And I love your idea of having Derwin James be the shadow. That's what they brought him in to be. They're already using him in so many different roles. Put him where he can make the most impact because he is a definite impact player. He most certainly is. And who do you have winning the Battle of L.A. this Sunday? You know, a a lot of people think this could be a Super Bowl preview with this in the Battle of L.A. because the Rams have just been fantastic. But I look at the Rams in the first two weeks of the season and say that defense has been fantastic. And the offense, I don't think they've hit their stride quite yet. They've still left a lot of plays out on the field in two weeks. If the Chargers had Joey Bosa healthy, this might be a different decision. But right now, I see the Rams as being still too much for the Chargers and winning it 33-20. to I think it's going to be closer than that. I expect the Chargers to keep it competitive throughout because this is a the Battle of L.A. It's an inner city game. And uh, in games like that, you expect to be uh, very competitive. But the absence of Joey Bosa is going to come back to bite the Chargers at the end of this game. And they lose in a close one, 28-24. to And before we continue, we want to remind you that Sports Crunch with Decrom is brought to you by Top Choice Athletics, the number one company in customized sports equipment and apparel, specializing in baseball, basketball, soccer, volleyball, tennis, golf, and of course, football. All apparel and equipment can be customized according to your needs. To stay tuned to exciting sports news and deals, follow them on Facebook and Instagram at Top Choice Athletics and follow them on Twitter at RealTCAthletics. Check out their awesome products and order online today from TopChoiceAthletics.com. And now moving on to the fantasy football segment of our program with the Set Mind Lineup segment. And today we help our good friend Joe Grisso out. And this is Joe's team. Uh, It's a non-PPR league and a quarterback. You got Carson Wentz coming back this week, but he also has Matt Ryan. I think you wait and see with Wentz and play Matt Ryan in what I expect to be a shootout with the Saints. What do you think? I agree, David. I think that's a slam dunk decision. Um, Wentz hasn't played at all, really, until this week in practice. So I think there's going to be a lot of rust on him. And go with Matt Ryan is is what I think, because that New Orleans defense, like we already said, has been suspect, and he could have a really big game. Very interesting decision at running back. He got three legitimate uh, running back one plays in Saquon Barkley, Jordan Howard, and Marshawn Lynch, and you got Alfred Morris and Deion Lewis, but uh, Saquon Barkley going against that Texans front, given how awful that Giants offensive line is playing, He's kind of like a big play dependent start at, at the moment. So uh, Marshawn Lynch might be a safer play given how well he's run the first two weeks. And Jordan Howard, uh, yes, he struggled against the Seahawks, but I expect him to get back on track against that uh, Arizona defense. So which two of those three running backs in Barkley, Howard, and Lynch do you insert to the two running back spots? That is a tough one there because that is a tough matchup for Barkley. And especially in a non-PPR, you if it was PPR, I'd say you kind of have to go with Barkley. You know, you're going to get maybe one big run out of him, but at least the, the, as a safety valve, he's going to give you value. 
non-PPR, yeah, it's really hard to play him. And with the depth that uh, Joe has at running back, I think Howard is an automatic star in every league. And I like the matchup. I'm going to lean a little bit towards Lynch should have plenty of running room down in Miami without Sue in the middle of that defensive line anymore. So let's insert Jordan Howard and Marshawn Lynch as the two running backs. And another interesting conundrum for Joe at wide receiver. You got Julio Jones, lock him into one of those spots. You're playing Matt Ryan, got to play Julio Jones to put yourself in position for double points. But then you got Allen Robinson, who is turning out to be Mitchell Trubisky's go-to guy. Brandon Cooks, who's turning out to be the guy in that Rams receiving core. Amari Cooper, who finally showed up last week. And Marvin Jones, but with uh, Kenny Galladay um, usurping him, dare I say, uh, let's leave Marvin Jones out of this equation. So uh, we got Julio locked into one of the spots. Uh, So which of the three others, Allen Robinson, Brandon Cooks, or Amari Cooper, would you start in that second spot? Ooh, that is a tough one there. Um, You know, with that Rams defense, like we just talked about, it's very, very hard to bench Brandon Cooks. And yes, this is going to be a tough matchup against the Chargers, but I still think the Rams are going to have enough on offense, and I still think they're going to find a way to work Cooks open and maybe into the end zone. So I would have Cooks as my wide receiver, too, on this lineup. So, Joe, we got Matt Ryan in your quarterback spot, uh, Jordan Howard and Marshawn Lynch as your two running backs, and Julio and Brandon Cooks as your two wide receivers, and I think this is an easy decision at tight end. Jesse James or Gronk? Gronk. Well, you you know, you can love the outlaw Jesse James, but, uh, you know, non-PPR, Gronk all the way. Indeed. And, uh... Let's check out his flex options. He got Saquon Barkley, but we mentioned that tough matchup. Alfred Morris, uh, remove him from consideration because the 49ers are going to be playing from behind against the Chiefs. And Matt Breida is the back they use when they're playing from behind, and they're going to be playing from behind a lot. And Matt Breida is also the more well-rounded back, so it's Matt Breida's backfield. Uh, Make sure uh, Alfred Morris stays on your bench. Deion Lewis, uh, but he's against Jacksonville. I don't trust him against Jacksonville. Uh, So uh, Saquon Barkley is the only running back I would consider playing in that flex spot. Or Allen Robinson or Amari Cooper. I think I might go Amari Cooper because none of those Dolphins corners scares me personally. Yeah, I mean, this is a really good matchup week for Oakland, I think, on offense. And, you know, I I think I'd go with Cooper as well. I'm going to agree with you on this one, David. Yeah, so once again, Joe, we got... Uh, Matt Ryan is your quarterback. Uh, Jordan Howard and Marshawn Lynch is your running backs. Julio Jones and Brandon Cooks is your wide receivers. Crock a tight end. And last but not least, Amari Cooper and Flex. And now moving on to the waiver wire. And when you look at the waiver wire, three quarterbacks uh, that a lot of you should be considering are Blake Bortles, Andy Dalton, or Ryan Fitzpatrick. And which one of those three quarterbacks do you think has the biggest upside for the remainder of the season? Well, that is a tough one. I mean, Fitzpatrick has the problem of the minute he starts to falter a little, they're going to have Jameis Winston ready to step in. And and that's the only reason I would pick against Fitzmagic in this situation. Uh, Bortles apparently can only play well against the Patriots and the Steelers, so I'm not sure I'm going to see him as the biggest upside. And I know you're already on the Andy Dalton train, uh, David, and I might just have to join you on that, or at least in this side on the waiver wire, I'm going Andy Dalton. 
Same here. Like I mentioned, in his 16 games under Bill Lazor's offensive coordinator, 39 touchdowns to 9 interceptions. That's efficiency that could help you win your fantasy league on a weekly basis. And when you look at the tight end position, there are three hot names on the waiver wire. You got O.J. Howard in that Red Hot Buccaneers offense, who's playing up to that first round draft slot that he was drafted with in 2017. The outlaw Jesse James, who we just mentioned, and Eric Ebron, who is becoming a target for Andrew Luck in the red zone. Which one of those tight ends do you think has the biggest upside for the rest of the season? Oh, definitely Eric Ebron. Uh, I don't even think the Colts have realized what they have in him and the different things that he can do. Uh, He's played less than 40% of the snaps so far and is catching touchdowns, is on pace for already for over 50 catches and 600 yards if he keeps this up. And remember, there was a reason he was a top 10 selection coming out of North Carolina. I mean, he was a beast. And I just think... That, you know, Detroit just didn't know what to do with him. And now he's in a chance to have an offense and somebody like Frank Reich there running the show. He's in a great position to grow the rest of this season and really be an impact tight end for the rest of 2018. Oh, I completely agree. And I was talking to Jeff Hazley of footballguys.com for our wide receivers and tight ends fantasy preview back in August. And we mentioned that Eric Ebron was better equipped to play that Zach Ertz role in Frank Reich's scheme than Jack Doyle is. So uh, Eric Ebron, there's your Zach Ertz there in Indianapolis, Frank Reich. Please use him more. And now moving on to our rapid-fire predictions in which Hal and I run off the rest of the games in Week 3 and pick our winners, starting with Thursday night's matchup between Sam Darnold and the Jets against Miles Garrett and the Cleveland Browns. Who do you have winning? Well, it's been a long time since I've been able to say it, but I'm going to say the Browns win, Browns win 24-20 over the Jets at home. I wish I could say the same thing, but Hugh Jackson, you have lost every right to be given the benefit of the doubt. I do not trust this Browns coaching staff until they show me they can win a game. I'm taking Todd Bowles, Sam Donald, and the Jets 20-16. to uh, This is my lock of the week, Bills. At Vikings, who are coming off a career performance from Kirk Cousins being let down by Daniel Carlson, they bounce back easily with like a 35-10 to 10 win. Yeah, I only have it 24-10 to because I assume they take their foot off the pedal in the second half. But this Bills team, I, it's going to be hard to pick them the rest of the season to win it all. Oh, totally. And the other recipient of that tie last week, the Green Bay Packers traveled to D.C. to take on the Redskins, I think Aaron Rodgers uh, leads them to a victory there, don't you? Oh, definitely. I, I mean, I think Washington will put up a good fight. It might be a close game, but Green Bay pulling it out twenty-four to twenty, uh, twenty-seven to twenty-four is what I have. Oh, I have it more like a twenty-seven to seventeen. If uh, if I was predicting the score there, uh, the New York Giants had that horrible offensive line and that washed-up quarterback named Eli Manning, who they should have drafted his replacement uh, last April, going to face the desperate and hungry zero and two Houston Texans. Uh, you got to go with the Texans in that game to get back on track. Uh, J.J. Watt looks like he's about to break out and show why he still has that defensive player of the year uh, type uh, qualities in his in his game. And the Texas, the Giants offensive line, they don't have a prayer against Tim Merciless and Clowney. 
Oh my gosh, this could be a slaughter uh, of, of that Giants offensive line for sure. I, I have the Giants struggling to even score, and Houston winning handily, sixteen to three. Sixty to three in a low-scoring game. I predict Deshaun Watson gets back on track this week, and they win by a score of let's say uh, twenty-eight to ten. And the Andrew Luck at the Indianapolis Colts uh, travel to Philly to take on the Eagles and the return of Carson Wentz. Now, I think this game is going to be very close because the Eagles are going to be without Jay Ajayi and likely without Alshon Jeffrey and without Darren Sproles. Not ideal for Carson Wentz, but I think they have enough to get it done with that defensive line uh, controlling the game and uh, making life hard for Andrew Luck and uh, and that offensive line uh, opening up holes for Corey Clement and Wendell Smallwood in the running game like they're capable of doing. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be close. But the Eagles I have winning 22-19. to 19. Oh, I've got this as my upset special. I think it's going to be really close. But, you know, I've, I've liked what I've seen out of Indianapolis so far this year. They've, they're, they're competitive. And Wentz is going to have a lot of rust. Remember, he had no preseason at all here. So I've got Indianapolis jumping out to an early lead and a furious comeback for Philadelphia falling just short and Indy winning 20 to 19. Oh, yeah, the Indianapolis Colts, they've shown a lot of promise, uh, especially when you look at their defense. That rookie linebacker, Darius Leonard, he looks like he's going to be something. Oh, my goodness, he certainly does. And and they're playing hard and, and they're attacking the football and the offensive line is holding up a little better than I think we expected as well. So they'll get a real test this week. So it'll be really exciting to see how they come out of this game. Quentin Nelson versus Fletcher Cox. That's a matchup where you have to have a lot of popcorn ready to eat, folks. So so stay tuned for that. Uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars, after that statement victory, that dominating victory, dare I say, over your New England Patriots, they play host to the Tennessee Titans this week. Yeah, I think it's an easy win for Jacksonville. Um, I don't think it's going to be high scoring this week. Tennessee is going to get a little bit more on track on defense. But at the same time, I don't think Tennessee is going to be able to score enough against that Jacksonville defense in Duval. So let's say Jacksonville 19 to 13 over the Titans. I think Jacksonville is going to win, but I think it might be even closer than that, dare I say, and I'll explain why later. And the Cincinnati Bengals take their 2-0 record to Charlotte to take on the Carolina Panthers, and this Panthers offensive line is absolutely decimated, and their defense just let the Falcons run all over them last week, and that defense also doesn't appear to be the same as it was a couple years ago, so I think the Cincinnati Bengals go 3-0 here. Yeah, as hard as it is to believe, I've got Cincinnati going 3-0 and as well with a pretty handy 27-16 win over Carolina and just controlling the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. And Pat Mahomes, who we mentioned at the top of the program, uh, he makes his first ever start at Arrowhead Stadium against the San Francisco 49ers, and I think he continues to put on his amazing performances against a very bad 49ers defense. Uh, yep, you can talk about Reuben Foster and Fred Warner and DeForest Buckner all you want, but outside of those three, uh, that defense is very, very suspect, and I think the Chiefs should have no problem attacking them. Yeah, I think it's a big step back for Mahomes. I think he's only going to throw five touchdown passes this week. So I've got Kansas City 38 to 31. Uh, Jimmy G might be able to get some points up against that Kansas City defense, but I don't think he's going to be able to do enough to keep up with Mahomes. 
Yeah, I have it 38-27. Completely agree. It's going to be that type of game with the Chiefs off to fast start and the 49ers and Jimmy G able to play catch-up. The Miami Dolphins at 2-0. This could be a potential trap for them against the Raiders. Yes, they blew it against the Broncos in the second half, but they've owned both of their first halves so far, and the Dolphins, uh, this is not going to be easy for them to go 3-0. and no, I, I think uh, we're going to see John Gruden get his first win in Oakland here at last. Uh, playing down in Miami is always tough in September, but th- this Miami secondary has been underachieving, and Oakland could possibly take advantage of that with Kyron Cooper. So I have Oakland 24-17 to 17 over Miami. I actually have the Dolphins winning a close but ugly game by like 19 to 16, that kind of game. Uh, the Baltimore Ravens look to get back on track as they host the Broncos at the Big Crab K down in Baltimore, as Chris Berman would call it. I do have the Ravens getting back on track, and I don't think the game is going to be close because uh, if the Broncos uh, play the way they did last week, this is going to be an absolute blowout, like uh, 27 to 7. And if the Broncos want to have a chance to win this game, they're going to have to start off a lot better. I have the Ravens winning and covering the spread. Oh, I've got Denver winning this one. A late field goal gives them a 23-20 to win over Baltimore. I think the Denver defense is going to match up all right with Flacco, get him in trouble, maybe a couple turnovers early in the game, and then it's just a matter of outlasting them in the second half. So Denver 23, Baltimore 20. Ooh, interesting, Hal. And the Arizona Cardinals have looked like the worst team in football so far. Uh, not name the Buffalo Bills, but it's pretty damn close. And it doesn't get any easier for that offense playing Khalil Mack and the newly minted monsters of the midway in the desert. And uh, I don't see the Cardinals and David Johnson, that offense, getting back on track this week against that defense. No, I mean, Arizona's in contention for that number one pick, it looks like, right now. And uh, they've just been falling behind so early in the games they haven't been able to get David Johnson going in these first two weeks and I don't think it's going to be any better against this Bears team that has been fun to watch so far in 2018 I am enjoying watching the Bears and I have them with a pretty easy victory 24 to 13 over Arizona I think it's going to be a little bit closer to that, but I agree. Uh, the Bears should win this game. I trust that Matt Nagy is not going to put the whole universe on Mitchell Trubisky's shoulders, and instead he's going to uh, scheme the game like he did that uh, drive at the end of the third quarter to the beginning of the fourth quarter where he had Trubisky with those simple reads and simple passes and the ground game with Jordan Howard. Uh, Mitchell Trubisky still has a long way to go in his development. I'm not writing him off yet, but for now... The offense runs through Jordan Howard, Tariq Cohen, and that creative, exotic running game. And I expect Nagy to get that running game on track against this Cardinals defense. And the Bears walk away in the desert with a 23-16 victory. The Seattle Seahawks and Russell Wilson look like just slightly slightly better than the Arizona Cardinals. And it does get easier for them and their offensive line, who has allowed a league-high 12 sacks through the first two weeks, going against an underrated Dallas Cowboys front with Demarcus Lawrence and Taco Charlton now playing well. And he also got a good young secondary with Chidobe Awuzie and Byron Jones and Jordan Lewis. Uh, it's not going to get any easier for the Seahawks, dare I say. Yeah, I don't think so. And and boy, I, I just look at this matchup and I think, you know, geez, a couple years ago, this was one of those marquee matchups would have been a, a must watch and everybody in front of their TV to see the Cowboys and the Seahawks with their Legion of Boom. And, and now it's 
it's just, you know, it's going to be low scoring. I think it's going to be ugly. Uh, The Seahawks defense aren't where they used to be. The Cowboys offense definitely isn't where it's used to be. But I've got Dallas edging them out 16 to 13 in an ugly, ugly game. I have it a bit more high scoring than that. I believe Dallas wins by a score of 21 to 17. Uh, the rematch between teacher and pupil heads to the Motor City where Bill Belichick faces Matt Patricia. And given how bad the Lions have looked the first two weeks, they were absolutely fortunate that the 49ers allowed them to get back in that game last week. I think this is a very easy win for Bill Belichick and the Patriots to get back on track after that horrendous showing in Jacksonville. Yeah, I mean, if if that pass defense looks as bad as it did last week, we might be talking about this is the week with Matthew Stafford getting back on track because they've got the wide receivers in Detroit to create a matchup headache for the Patriots. So I've got New England bouncing back and winning. They always do well after a game where they get whipped soundly, I think. But I think it'll be closer, and it's New England 31, Detroit 24. Oh, I have the Patriots winning uh, 34 to 20, but uh, you could be right there given the fact that Matt Patricia knows the Patriots uh, quite well. But the question is, does he have the players to do it? And without Darius Slay, Tom Brady and that passing attack should be feasting all night long. And the red-hot Tampa Bay Buccaneers host the reeling Pittsburgh Steelers on Monday Night Football. Uh, this looks like it's going to be another fun game to watch on Monday Night Football, and uh, it's a hard one to predict. It is. I mean, it's it's what looked like in before the the season started. You looked at it and you said, "Well, Pittsburgh, they should be rolling by week three. Tampa Bay is going to be hoping to get Jameis Winston back." And now you're looking at it and you're saying, "Well, geez, Pittsburgh is a team in turmoil right now. Their defense can't stop anybody, and Tampa Bay's been afflicted with Fitz magic over there." So. It should be an entertaining game, if nothing else, but um, I figure Pittsburgh's got to win eventually, so I'll say they come out ahead in a very close, very high-scoring game, 41-38. to Whoa, I actually disagree with you. I think the Pittsburgh Steelers are a dumpster fire waiting to happen. They've been teetering on the edge for many years, and this is the year it collapses permanently. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Ryan Fitzpatrick eke out a very close, high-scoring affair, 38-35. to And now it's time for our bold predictions for Week 3, and I will go first here. The Houston Texans will sack Eli Manning, not one, not two, not three, not four, Not five, not six, not seven, not eight, not nine, not ten, not eleven, twelve times. The Houston Texans will total twelve sacks of Eli Manning. That's my bold prediction. Wow, that is bold. An even dozen. Well, if there's an offensive line that's going to give up twelve sacks this year, it might well be the Giants. Wow. Uh, my bold prediction, uh, you know, New Orleans, Drew Brees, it, there's just something about that team that just keeps creating wide receivers and they just step in and they step up and they start playing. And I think this week we're going to see they finally get someone opposite Michael Thompson that's going to step up and have a big game. And that is their third round draft pick, rookie Traquan Smith. 
you haven't heard of him, you're going to start hearing of him now. He was a star in the preseason. He's going to burst on the scene this week. I'm saying six receptions, over 100 yards receiving, and at least one touchdown. As everyone keys in on Michael Thompson, Traquan Smith is going to step up and take advantage of that opportunity and be that next Saints receiver to come out of nowhere and start lighting up in the NFL. That is quite a bold prediction, Hal. And last but not least, it's time for our challenge flags. And my challenge goes to the Jacksonville Jaguars. All right, Jaguars, you made your point. You made your statement with a huge dominating victory over the New England Patriots last week. You got your revenge and you have positioned yourself to be the best team in the AFC. But beware the Titanic trap. You host the Tennessee Titans this Sunday, and they're a team that beat you twice last year. This is a trap game, Jaguars, and yes, you beat the Patriots, but the Titans have been a thorn in your side the past couple years, and you need to beat the Titans to to let the league know that you're not going to get lazy after a dramatic victory like the Patriots. So, Jaguars, beware the Titanic trap and show up for 60 minutes this Sunday, and you'll beat the Titans. Okay, my challenge flag is going to wide receiver Josh Gordon. Think about Randy Moss, Corey Dillon, Junior Seau, Wes Welker, Akib Tlaib, Chris Hogan, LeGarrette Blount. These players have all come into New England and flourished because they got with the program and got behind number 12. Josh, you've got to give up number 12 Embrace being number 10 in New England, but follow number 12. Be where he wants you to be. Do what he wants you to do, and you're going to get your career back on track, and you're going to cash in and turn your life around. Because if you don't and you blow this opportunity in New England, nobody's going to touch you after this. So my challenge, Josh Gordon, step up. Get with the program. Do whatever they tell you to do. If it's decoy, be a decoy but rehabilitate yourself in New England. And we are rooting for you to do just that, Josh Gordon. And thank you very much, Hal. And that's it for today here on Sports Crush. But we'll be back next week for week four, so stay tuned. Meanwhile, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that is Crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Hal or Hal Bento, you can follow on Twitter at HalBento1. Our producer, Chris Broadhead, this is David Cromwell saying so long, and as usual, stay awesome.